I'm really uh, pleased to be here because I love this church and love Ant and Helen um, and um, <clears throat> really enthusiastic about what FTC is doing together. And each time I come, it feels like I meet uh, more new faces and so it's clear that God is bringing new people, new resources um, together. So it's really exciting. And the, one of the reasons I'm excited about this morning is because I'm convinced that I'm sure all of you are convinced of this from your own organizational settings. My background is sort of church leadership, and I'm convinced that investment in leaders is absolutely key, isn't it, to the growth of the organization. Yeah? And so, you know, investing in is, I think if, if today every one of us, to differing degrees, take a step up in our involvement and leadership in this church, then without a doubt, as guaranteed as the fact that you know, it'll be raining tomorrow in Britain, or as guaranteed as the fact that the British Lions are going to win the series in Australia. Those kinds of things that are certain, a sure and steadfast hope, as we call it. Um, we're missing the Lions this morning, aren't we? Do you realise this? I nearly didn't come. I, I saw that and I thought, forget it, I'm not going to Forest Town Church when the, the Lions are playing. But it's okay, because it's not a test match, so I'm here. Um, <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? So, if, as guaranteed as all of those things, if we step up, the church will step up. Because leaders lead. If leaders step down, the church and the organization take a step down. If leaders take a step up, the organization or the church takes a step up. It's just a guaranteed principle. Now, if the leaders take a step up, and then the church takes a step up, then guess what? The mission takes a step up. Because the resource and the impact on the world, which is what we're here for, uh, rises or falls on leadership. Everything rises or falls ultimately um, on leadership. So today we're here to take a step up um, by God's grace. And I want you to do that right now. Would you just take a step up? Stand up um, and let's pray together for that with, with hope and expectation in our hearts. We stand up together, we take a step up together and we say, Father, we are here to rise up in our calling um, as a church. And we have a corporate calling. It's not just that we're individuals, we are a body. Uh, you don't, we don't look at our bodies and see individual fingers, we see a hand. We see a hand connected to an arm, we see an arm connected to the whole. We see the whole. Lord, you see the whole of this body and you call it to step up. But it starts with us as leaders. If we step up, then the church will step up with us and the mission will step up with the church. We, we pray, Lord, for those things now in the name of Jesus. We, we call on the name of Jesus, not as a little ritual or formula, but because we believe there's power in his name. Lord Jesus, come now in this time and enable us by the power of the Holy Spirit to step up. And to that end, I pray, Lord, where there's things that I was thinking of saying that really are not for this morning, would you just cast those aside? Where there's things that need to be said that none of us have thought of yet, would you bring those to mind? And would you allow this morning, therefore, to be led by the Holy Spirit? We open our hearts to you, Lord. We're each here, not out of duty, not because someone asked us to, not because we thought, well, maybe we should, or we'll be better Christians if we do. We're each here because we want to step up. It's our personal desire and commitment to you, Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. If you died for us, then we would live for you. We would rise up to the highest level we can to glorify you. So we're here with that ambition in Jesus' name. And all of us said, Amen. Amen. All right. Having taken a step up, you can have a sit down. <laughs> um, great. You know, in the end, um, what, what did Jesus leave on earth? He left a, a small group of leaders, didn't he? 
um, highly trained in the sense that he'd invested three years of his teaching and training ministry in them, coaching them. He left a small group of leaders. He filled them with his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and the world has never been the same since. So spirit-filled leaders, trained by Christ as we look to him for his coaching and his inspiration through his word and by his spirit, that can change um, the world, literally, as it always has been doing. So um, what we're doing then is looking at leadership. I thought we'd start with a question uh, that you can just throw back some answers about, um, which is on the screen, I think, or you can bring up on the screen. Who, apart from Jesus himself, who would you say is the best leader um, in the Bible? If you could choose one person from anywhere in the Bible, is that on the screen? We'll be on the screen soon. Uh, if you could choose any leader from anywhere in the Bible and say, we want that person. You know, you know those when you used to pick teams at school? <laughs> I want you, I want you. Who would you pick? Um, for your team. Maybe in groups, just uh, try and come to a consensus in your group about who you would pick. Um, have a quick chat about that, and then uh, we'll, we'll see who you go for. All right, I need you to be reaching a consensus. Are you able to come to a consensus, or is, am I starting a s- divisions in the church? So, any, any consensus? <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's hear it. <clears throat> Let's hear it from, um, from Callum's group first. What, what is your consensus? What this means is this is Callum's opinion. What is this? <laughs> All right, we've gone for David in this group. They've picked David, so he's off. You can't pick him. He's already been had. Um, so I hope, that, I hope that doesn't scupper your plans. Who are you going to go for? It does. <laughs> All right, you're going to get the leftovers. All right. Any consensus over here? All right, bit of Paul. Paul? Okay. So, kind of David, bit of consensus towards Paul. You'll take Moses. All right, well... Well, you're all, you're all wrong, because obviously the right answer is Nehemiah. Um, and, um, no, I'm joking. It's all very, all very subjective, isn't it? But um, you, you went somewhere else. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so hopefully you've got pens. Have you got a pen to hand? You're probably going to need one if you haven't got them. Um, that's right, yeah, it's back to class. It's back to school for us, so um, some pens are being brought in. Now, um, you'll see two things, uh, which is kind of... I've lost you now, looking for pens. Um, you'll see two things, which is kind of my style. One is that there's always a few 
notes, but there's also a, a place for you to make notes. So I'm always encouraging you to be kind of scribbling down things that, that, that maybe what I'm saying, or sometimes, if, you know that thing where someone says something, it's not actually what they said, it's the thought that it triggers in your mind that is what you write down. So whatever that might be. And um, the other thing about what I do with these things is I tend to put more on the screen than you have on your notes, which just keeps you guessing. So there will be more on the screen, and that doesn't mean it's wrong. It means that you can write those things down or choose that actually you've taken it in from the screen. That's fine. But um, we're going to look at Nehemiah together. And um, the first slide here says victorious leadership. I, I just... Um, as I've been reading Nehemiah and preparing for these sessions, um, I just felt impressed again by the extraordinary way that God used this man against all of the odds. Okay, now most Christian leadership, let's face it, is against the odds because we've got the world, the flesh and the devil trying to stop what, what God is trying to do here. So in one sense, it's against the odds. And yet by God's grace, the, the, the phrase that will recur through the book of Nehemiah over and over again and Ezra, both of them will keep saying, the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Because of the favor of God that was upon me, they keep explaining their success according to this amazing grace that they are experiencing. God then makes us successful against the odds, uh, makes us victorious against the odds, and you see this profoundly in the life of Nehemiah. Now, um, as Anne said earlier, we are hoping to run you know, with, uh, with this session, and then once a term to do three more after this, totaling four, basic maths. And that will mean um, going through three areas that lead to the fourth. And that's what I want to just try and convey through this diagram. If you click onto the next slide, you'll see the diagram you've got. Oh, no, you won't. You'll see a summary of, um, of what is then represented in the diagram that you've got. So just stick with the screen for a moment. Today, we're going to look at the issue of vocation. And you'll notice with each of these words, there's a question. And the question with vocation is the question of why. So the question of vocation we're looking at today is, why do we do what we do? Okay, why do we do what we do? Now, when I say we, I'm here to invest in FTC, okay? So I appreciate we are doing all kinds of stuff beyond the immediate sphere of Forest Town Church. But this morning is focusing in on what we're doing within this sphere of Forest Town Church. Is that all right? So I'm not for a minute belittling the incredible sense of vocation you will find also in your job, in your family, raising children, uh, if you have children, um, being married, looking for a spouse, if that's where you're at. Um, congratulations. Yeah, not anymore. Yeah. He's found the lady that baked those cakes on the sides, and he said, will you marry me? And I don't blame him. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> I thought that. But no, anyway. Uh, poor Richard. Let's stay focused. Come on, Callum, you help. So why do we do what we do is today, um, the issue of vocation. Then next time we'll look at vision. What, do, what are we doing? So why are, we do, what, why are we doing what we do? What is it that we're doing? Vision. And then um, in the third session, we're going to look at values. How will we do what we do? Uh, what are our non-negotiables? What are the things that we won't compromise on? And then finally, all of that, when it comes together, um, leads to victory, which will be our last session, how to ensure that the three combine in a sense of a, a realizing of what God's called us to do as a people together. So that's kind of the, the, three area, the three areas that lead to the fourth. And you'll notice that each of them is a question. Why today? What next time? How? The time after. And um, I, I had a bit of a restless night last night. I couldn't get to sleep. 
Um, and I think it was partly um, because of I was, I was kind of grappling with the fact that I didn't quite finish, uh, feel that I'd got this session prepared. There was something about it, and I just thought, I'd, you know, I'd put quite a lot of time into preparing what we're looking at this morning. I just didn't feel comfortable about it, and I was kind of kept awake, mulling over, why is this? And then I think it dawned on me that the reason is because I'm used to bringing talks that are a combination of questions and answers, okay? So within my session, I'm a teacher, I'm a lecturer, I'm a preacher by trade. I'm used to not only asking the questions, but supplying the answers. And I realized the reason I couldn't get to sleep at night was because I realized, not for the first time, but certainly for one of the first times in my life, I've prepared a session with lots of questions and very few answers. <laughs> and that's really important to say because it clarifies what I think I'm doing here and then what I think you guys are going to do, if that, if that makes sense. I'm primarily trying to ask good questions, but it's not for me to answer them. You know, This is over to you now. This is for you to then be thinking and praying and working through the answers. My role is to facilitate good thinking about good questions. Um, and, and actually then, as answered, I think some of the core leadership team will then be reviewing some of the stuff we look at in this session, trying to bring, on behalf of all of us for, for FTC, answers, progress on the questions that I'm asking. But it's not for me to answer them. I'm really just helping you think through the right... I was thinking about an analogy as I was driving. I was thinking it's almost like I'm the caddy um, and you're the golfers, okay? And the caddy's role is to kind of coach the golfer, isn't it, and make a suggestion. I think maybe if you hit it with this club, that might work. Um, But having handed over the tools, if you like, the resources, they then step back while the golfer hits the shot. And when the ball's hit, assuming it's a good shot, the caddy walks away and no one remembers the caddy, but the golfer goes on to win. And, And that's my view of what I'm doing. I hope I'm a bit of a caddy, just suggesting, how about trying this resource, or have you thought about this? You see what I'm saying? You guys need to hit the shots. So I'm, I'm asking a lot of questions uh, in this session, partly why I couldn't get to sleep last night, because I like answers. <laughs> but that's over to you. Um, so with that in mind, just look at this diagram on the next slide. And um, I just want to show why vision uh, and vocation and values need to come together. Um, these diagrams are used a fair bit. And, and the way that they work, these triangle diagrams, is that... Um, the three things on the corners are the, the crucial things. And where we, where we lose one of these, um, we fall into an error. And uh, so you'll see on the, on the lines between them various errors. So take, for example, the one we're looking at today, vocation. If you drop out the question why, so you've got people with a lot of vision, they know what they want to do, and you've got a lot of values, you've got, you know, you, know, you know, the kind of values that you have as you do it, but you've lost sight of the why, you end up often with a, a group, an individual or a group that's quite driven. What I mean by this is that they're, they're, they're doing a lot of stuff, they're very committed to success, but when you ask the question, but why do you want this to succeed, it's hard to answer that other than often through worldly answers, like selfish ambition, or we just want to be successful, or we want a big church. Why? <laughs> You know, you've got to have a better reason than just we want a big church, or else it's just baptizing secular motives and calling them Christian, isn't it? Yeah? And so being driven is not good enough. We actually need to be called, not driven. And that's where vocation comes in. Equally, though, if you, if you have vocation and you have um, vision, but you drop off values, I'd say that you're, in da- you're dangerous, <laughs> Because there you, you've got a real strong sense that you're, you're called to do something, 
you know what you want to do, but actually you've not, you're not accountable to godly values for how you're going to do it. You know, it is possible, isn't it, to get the right thing in the wrong way, and then it becomes the wrong thing. You know what I'm saying? It is possible to get the right thing, but in the wrong way, and then it becomes the wrong thing. And cutting corners of honesty, of integrity, um, of spiritual balance and health, cutting those corners because of us striving to get something that we want is very dangerous. People get hurt where leaders act like that. And then equally, if you have um, vocation, if you have values, but you don't have vision, you know, you're very, um, very honest, full of integrity. You've got great sense that God's calling, of God's calling and the why questions are in place, but you don't actually know what you're trying to do. You lack vision. Then you're in danger of drifting, yeah, which is the third danger on the diagram. See, that's true of many churches, isn't it? They, they preach good stuff, stuff you know, it's, it, and people will say after their sermons, it's very sound. Have you ever heard that word? Sound preaching. Um, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, is it sound? I mean, it's good to have, obviously, theologically correct sermons, but, you know, it's possible, isn't it, to be a church that's, that's full of sound stuff that isn't really going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? There's a lack of vision. But what are we doing? What is God's call? What is the vision that we are seeking to fulfill? Now, people who operate with a sense of vision, who have a, people who have a bit of get-go, if a church or an organization doesn't have any vision, will get going. <laughs> They, either they won't stay, or they'll start trying to introduce their own vision, and if you get two visions, you get division. Yeah. So having a clear sense of vocation, why we do what we do, having a clear sense of vision, what is it that we're trying to do, and having a clear sense of values, how will we do that thing in a way that's honourable. Bringing those together, only when all three come together do I sense leadership that will bring victory. And so these three sessions, they're all as important as each other in that sense. And uh, we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah, as I've said, as an example of where I think the reason why um, there was such a remarkable victory in the context that we're going to look at is because he um, brought these three things together in such a profound way. Vocation, they knew why they were doing it. Vision, they knew what they were doing. And values, they knew how they would and how they wouldn't go about the task. So with all of that in mind, we move on to vocation. If you click on the next slide, you'll see that vocation is from a Latin word, vocatio, which means, uh, has a meaning of a call or a summons. So someone with a vocation, the, the sense I'm using it today is a person or an organization with a vocation is a person that is specially called to and gifted for a task. Okay? So this, the idea of vocation is that the individual... And the corporate organization, or church in this case, have been called to do something. The whole idea of calling, obviously, implies it's coming from someone else. This wasn't their idea. This wasn't their initiative. God has called this church and us as individuals to do something and gifted us with the resources we need for the task. Now, this is why I've categorized this as under the heading of the why question. Because when asked, uh, if you ask Nehemiah, why are you doing what you're doing? There would be no doubt, if you read the story, it would be because God called me to. He answers the why question with a God answer. Okay, It's not about a sense of, I've always wanted to build a city. (laughs) 
or I've always had a dream or an ambition to do this. No, no, no. It's, it didn't start with him. It started with God. And therefore, the why question is very clear for him. I'm doing this because God told me to. God called me to. There is a sense of summons, of calling in that vocation. Now, stepping back then from what we are doing, which takes up probably at least 80% of our thought, doesn't it? Stepping back from what we're doing to ask the question, why are we doing it? That step back is almost a little bit of a scary one, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we can be so busy and so preoccupied with the what questions that we never make time for the why questions. Why are we doing all of this? Is it all, is it all accountable to the sense because God's called us to? But that is an important step back. That's what we're doing today. We're stepping back from the what to ask the question, why? And I don't think our world around us encourages us to do this, does it? Because we live in a world where, especially through technology, the pace of life has been accelerated, and the idol of our age is efficiency. That the, the, the busy hands that are continually efficient at what they're doing is almost a badge of honor. If someone asks you at work, how are you doing? You almost feel obliged to say, oh, knackered. You know, shattered. I've just got so much on. Did you not feel that? It's almost like you have to say that, don't you? Or else you're about to be sacked for being lazy. <laughs> you, have to, you have to give the impression that you're exhausted and overrun. It's a badge of honor. It's the way that we stay in the organization. But here's the thing. Technology may accelerate and improve our efficiency, but that has no relevance to our effectiveness. It's, it's possible, isn't it, to be very efficient at very ineffective tasks. You know, it's possible that, to bring this to the church now, it's possible to be doing a load of stuff and seeing very little effective fruit from it. We're doing a lot of the what stuff, but we've not really asked the question, why? Is this the call? Is this the summons? Is this the vocation? So stepping back from the what to the why is such an important pause of reflection. And that's what we're going to um, use Nehemiah to help us with. Because if we can sort that question out, the why question, if we can get clarity on this and keep chipping away for further clarity, we will find a highly energized and highly motivated um, organization, church. See, this is where this, this stuff kicks in. It's not about what we're doing. That's all the visible realm. You know, every church has a visible realm, uh, visible in terms of websites that will tell you about the programs and the activities and the meetings, and then those activities and programs and meetings. That's the visible realm. That's the what, okay? But you can't see the why, can you? You, you can't see the why stuff. The why stuff is the invisible realm. But here's what I've noticed is that two churches can have the exact same programs, exact same what, but the feeling in terms of the why is totally different. One church has exactly the same program. One church is energized, there's high motivation, there's a real sense of excitement. The other church can be running exactly the same what, but they've lost sight of the why, and people are tired, demotivated, and often um, running out of energy and enthusiasm. They're doing exactly the same thing outwardly, but the atmosphere is different. I know these are quite quite sort of nebulous words, but atmosphere, every church, every organization has an atmosphere, doesn't it? In which the what stuff happens. The why is the atmosphere in which we do the what. And actually addressing the why, what is the atmosphere within which everything is happening? Is there a high sense of motivation, of passion, of calling, of significance to this work? Here's my conviction. I think leaders 
More than anything else, leaders show themselves to be leaders because they attend to the why, not just the what. Managers can take care of the what, but leaders know we must attend to the why. We must inspire the atmosphere, not just organize the program. You see the difference? I think that is so important. You see, if out of today, what does it mean then to take a step up today for all of us now? I'm, I'm assuming that all of us are either leaders or you know, in, in, in development and, and aspiring to be so. What does it mean for all of us to take that step up that we prayed for? I hope that what it means is that all of us have a renewed commitment today to inspiring people about why we do what we do in this church. And if all of us did that, we will not necessarily at all change the what questions, but we will change the atmosphere in which all of that happens, the why. Amen? You know, I believe that a good leader aims to address the why question in every piece, <clears throat> in every piece of significant communication. And yet this is so hard to remember, because so often the email that you're sending is simply firing off a what answer. What is happening with the rotor for the crash on Sunday? What is happening about the music? What is... So many of our emails and communication forms, every conversation, email, letter, meeting, team, leader, uh, team meeting that we have in our homes, whatever it might be, so often we rush to the what and we forget about the why. And the result is we get people doing the stuff, but sometimes forgetting why we're doing it. Now that is a recipe for a demotivated context, atmosphere. But sometimes all it takes is a prayer at the start of the meeting. Now I'm talking about a particular kind of prayer. I'm not talking about the kind of prayer, if you're in the music team, not the kind of prayer that just says, Lord, would Dave please turn up to do the PA this Sunday? You know, because you, all you've done is you've just prayed a what issue again, haven't you? I'm talking about a prayer that says the why. You, have you ever heard one of those prayers? And the atmosphere changes as it's prayed. A prayer that says, Lord Jesus, we pray that as we sing, as we sing, people would see you. They'd feel your presence. They'd know your joy and your heart uh, uh, for them and that your spirit would come down as we lift our voices up. You know, that's a why prayer, isn't it? And suddenly it brings everyone back to remem remembering why we do what we do. And there's energy for that. If this is about Jesus and about glorifying him, well, what a fantastic thing to do. If the meeting is only about trying to get Dave to turn up, well, then it's pretty tiring. You see what I'm saying? If we could step up in this area, in every, in every significant communication that we have, if we could seek to address the why question and inspire every email, thanks so much for what you're doing, every chair that you've put out as a steward, someone sat on who's heard God's word, felt God's spirit, and is being changed. What a, what, what a, what a difference that makes to the person who is thinking, I'm just putting the chairs out. No, you're not. No, you're not. Think about the why for a moment. Why do we put those chairs out? That eternal, significant events might happen in the lives of those who sit on them. That's the why. And suddenly we're lifted to an energy to put the chairs out. <laughs> Amen? I remember uh, reading about Sir, Sir Christopher Wren, you know, who obviously the architect behind St. Paul's Cathedral. And when it was being built, I don't know if this is apocryphal or true, but a great illustration, when it was being built, apparently he went to visit on several occasions the, the um, building site. 
And when he was uh, visiting on one occasion, he asked one guy who was um, two people working next to each other, and he asked one of them, um, what are you doing? And the guy just, you know, hardly looked up. He just said in a mumbled, depressed voice, I'm mixing cement. And, and you know, clearly his motivation levels were low. He turns to the next guy, doing the same task, turns to the next guy and says, what are you doing? And he says, I am building a magnificent cathedral. Now, that's the difference between the what and the why, isn't it? That's someone who's got it. This is going to be magnificent. I am mixing cement, that's the what, but why am I doing this? This is a magnificent cathedral that we're building. Now, leaders must inspire those that we serve to the why questions. And uh, Nehemiah is a wonderful illustration of this. So let's read together. If you've got a um, a Bible uh, with you, turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. All of that is by way of a rather rambling introduction. But turn to Nehemiah chapter 1 and... um, Let's read together. We'll read all of chapter 1 to set the scene and um, see uh, as we listen to this, would you listen to how vocation comes into the life of Nehemiah? Um, One of the points we're going to make a lot this morning is he already had a job, okay? He already had a job, a very, very good job actually. He'll tell us in um, right at the end of chapter 1, oh, by the way, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, we struggle to understand what that means, but if you were allowed access to the king and bearing the cup that his lips would drink from, you were a highly trained and highly trusted individual. High position of senior responsibility. Okay, So he's got a very, very good job, but he's about to get a vocation. And they're not the same thing. Listen to how that comes into his life. Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll read all of chapter 1 together. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, but they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ears be attentive to, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave to your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant. Moses, saying, if you are faithful, I will, I will, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people 
whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Now we'll pause there, but can you hear in that narrative the way that a man who's got a great job is now getting a great vocation. And do you realize that what happens next is that he compromises and risks his job for his vocation? What's going to happen next in chapter 2, we'll get there next time, is that he is going to go before the king, he is going to intentionally look sad and mourn that the king might say, what's up? And he might say, how can I be happy here when my people are in such distress, please can I go back to Jerusalem? Now that's more than just a career break. (laughs) This is a man who's willing to compromise and give up his career for the sake of a vocation that God has given. Here's a man then who was doing some great what stuff, but now he's been given a new why, a new whole reason or purpose for life on planet Earth, what we're calling um, a vocation. So I thought it'd be interesting at this point just to Um, get your feedback or your ideas, and we'll scribble a few down. Imagine um, the question of, that we're looking at today of why. Okay, why do we do what we do? And I thought it'd be interesting just to explore for a moment the difference between the answers to why you have a job, what, what, what are the why things when it comes to a job, and then what are the why things when it comes to a vocation? You know, if someone um, is asked, why do you have your job? What, why, you know, why do you do your job? But then someone is asked, why do you fulfill your vocation? Why are you doing this stuff? Why, Nehemiah, are you about to give up your job for your vocation? You know, what, what are the differences between a job and a vocation? Any thoughts? What, what, what would be the... Sorry? All right, thank you, yeah. Pay the bills. By the way, of course, I reinforce, as I said earlier, this isn't, this isn't to say it's not good to have a job. We all need to have jobs, don't we? But we also all need to have a vocation. So what do, what do we do? We pay the bills. Yeah, anything else in terms of job? I hope that's not the only one. <laughs> Is that about it? All right. <laughs> that might be quite telling in itself, yeah. Gift. You, okay, yeah. So use gifts. Use your gifts. Yep. I know that they're probably not the right answers to say for because we're all trying to be a bit Christian here, but you know, in terms of jobs and why you want to do well at your job and all those kinds of things, you know okay, career advancement, yeah. What career advancement someone say something else over there? All right, yeah, yeah, to pay more bills because you just bought a bigger house. Yeah, that, that's it. So more money. Is it just money we get? More? Yeah, okay. T- title, prestige, let's use that word. Prestige and power, can we say? Is that right? Authority, power, yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. All right, so a sense, sense of importance, yeah, okay.
Sure. Okay. Well, let's transition. Absolutely. Let's transition to vocation because that's where that's really going. Spot on. Now, it's quite possible, by the way, that your job is your vocation. You know, that's a happy life, isn't it? (laughs) Where those two sync up. But whether or not your job is your vocation, um, what words describe why, you know, why do you do, why do you do your vocation as opposed to why do you do your job? Thinking about Nehemiah, thinking about ourselves, you know, what motivates a person, not in this category, but in this category? All right, so we're back to this simple sense that God um, has called us, okay? So, yep, okay, so there's a sense of gifting. Um, Gifting to serve, yep. Anything else? All right, so there's a, okay, a sense of fulfillment. I wonder with this one, anyone want to comment a bit more on that one? Because it's a. Desire to make a difference. Thank you, yeah. I think it's almost like um, this is a little, um, you know, this is almost a little sort of bonus, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's really, um, if you ask someone why they're fulfilling their vocation, why they're doing that, 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 that task. It's unlikely to be because of wanting fulfillment. It's more a recognition that in this incredible, mysterious way, when we fulfill God's call, we get the deepest sense of fulfillment, even though we weren't looking for it. What we were actually looking to do is, what, what was it that you said? Okay, yeah. Okay, I'll just put eternity here, that we, we are aware in vocation territory that what we're doing in history is going to matter for eternity, isn't it? That's the whole thing about who sits on these chairs, isn't it? We put them out, and it's eternal stuff that's going on on those chairs. <laughs> Being satisfied, similar to fulfillment? Yep. Inheritance? All right. Okay, yep. Yep, okay. Roughly under that one, desire to make a difference. Yes, yes. Well, this is the point, you see. I mean, if you look at those lists, and those are, that's a pretty good, um, pretty good summary. If you look at those lists, you can draw a pretty hard line down the middle, can't you? And say that they're not the same thing. These motivations, largely, are very different to these motivations. And the question then of why is what takes Nehemiah from having a very good job to a whole new vocation. Now, as I say, sometimes they actually map onto each other, don't they? That the job that we have becomes our vocation. But still, that's a radical transformation. Let me explain what I mean using the example of William Wilberforce. You know, the job that he had, again, I think you'll be on the screen, but the job that he had was, um, remained the same. He managed to get himself elected as an MP. 
And it's interesting to, if you read Wilberforce's diary, that he says for the first few years of his time in office, he says, the first years I was in Parliament, I don't know if you take that back up, first year I was in Parliament, I did nothing, nothing to any purpose. My own distinction was my darling object. Isn't that interesting? He had a job. All he cared about was his own distinction. That was his darling object, was me looking better as an MP. So he's already an MP, he stays an MP, but now gets converted to a vocation. It's the same job, but the job has now become a vocation. Here's his language regarding his ambition to end the slave trade. God Almighty has placed before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of morals. Hear the language change. Now he's, now he's in this territory, isn't he? God's put something before me. Now, it wasn't that his job changed, but his whole reason for being in the job changed. Amen? He didn't need a new job, but he needed a sense of calling. Otherwise, he himself was the dead end. I'm just doing this as a... I'm my own darling object. I like that phrase. You know, so many people are in jobs, and the the end is themselves. Their CV, their career, and their bank statement. But God save us from living for nothing bigger than ourselves. Vocation lifts us out of ourselves, and now we're in the bigger than territory. (laughs) Now we're in the greater than significance. The whole thing is so much more important than me that it makes me just a servant. You know, this is where the language shifts, isn't it? Nehemiah is not now progressing through his career. Something so much bigger than his career has come along. He's a servant to a vocation, a vision, something that's got to change. Here's how Wilberforce puts it when he uh, um, speaks to Parliament. He says, he broke the news to Parliament in 1789, the grand object of my parliamentary existence is the abolition of the slave trade. Before this great cause, all others dwindle in my eyes. Something's changed in that man, and it's not his job, it's his heart. And because his heart changed, his whole reason for having a job changed. It had become a vocation. So whether the job maps onto the vocation, or whether because of the vocation we have to leave our job, which is what happens with Nehemiah, either way, every human, every Christian, must seek a vocation, not just a job. Because this is not enough of a reason for saying why. You can't answer the why questions as a Christian on this side of the column. Amen? We've got to get ourselves into this territory. When someone says, why do we do what we do? We say these things. And we really mean it. Now, Nehemiah is brought from here to here um, in this passage. Now, just winding back up, you've got this slide actually in your notes, but just winding back up, you'll see um, in Nehemiah chapter 1, the the bottom slide on the front page, the context is that the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. This is around 444 BC, and uh, the exiles who had been taken to Babylon have now been allowed to return by the uh, king of Persia, but... Um, the, the, what they've returned to is a pile of rubble, and they are nothing but a rabble. <laughs> so you've got a scene of rubble and rabble. The rubble's on the ground, and the rabble are living in it. This is, not a, this is not the people of God as it's meant to be. How does Nehemiah describe them? Notice this in verse 3. Um, the conviction comes because of the report that he hears, and here's the, I think here's the key phrase. It says that the people, he told, the people are in great trouble. So God's people are in great trouble, and the city of Jerusalem, notice that this is not any city, this is also called the city of God, 
God's name is here. God's, God's reputation is at stake in this city. And the people are in great trouble. And the city, we're told, he's told, is a disgrace. It's a disgrace. Disgrace to who? God. God. Now, that piece of news, which, by the way, is 900 miles away from where Nehemiah lives. 900 miles away. That's well beyond, no, no, that's, that's, that's approaching southern France, you know, for us. 900 miles away. And actually, it's been like this for 140 years. <laughs> so this piece of news in space is, 100, is 900 miles away. In time is 140 years ago. This is talking Queen Victoria and her, her time. <laughs> and yet, as he's told this news, his heart is totally broken by it. Suddenly, conviction comes upon him that if God's people are in great trouble and God's city is a disgrace, suddenly the, the dawning realization comes upon this man, I cannot live if it's going to stay like this. <laughs> Something must change. And all of a sudden we find Nehemiah then is experiencing what we call conviction. Nehemiah is moved to tears, to prayer and fasting. Leadership starts then with a holy concern and conviction. Leaders must be broken by the problem before they can be the solution. I remember when I was um, first, um, when we first moved down to to lead a, ch- a church down in Cornwall. I remember um, probably the thing that I uh, wanted to do more than anything else was to preach. Because that's, you know, for a young man, that's often a very attractive thing to do if, if you feel God's called you to that. It's the more public thing. And I guess probably my mentality was not far off. I'm not saying it was quite as bad as this, but not far off. It would be great for more people to come to hear me preach. <laughs> You know, I was my darling object, to go back to um, Wilberforce's phrase. It wasn't quite as bad as that, but I just remember the Lord really convicting me as I, as I um, got into that role, that actually, until I've wept for these people, until I've fasted and prayed for this town, until I've sought to see God glorified in this place, until this whole thing is not about me, I am not ready to be a leader in it. Amen? Because we're not leaders in, in that sense. We are servant leaders. It's not about us. It's about why do we do what we do? It's not so that, why do I preach? It's not so people can come and hear me preach. That's in this side of the column. We preach. We, we, we lead the children's work. We, we put the chairs out. Whatever we do, why do we do it? We do it for the glory of God and the good of the people. Now, until we push through to that place, I don't think we're fit to lead, are we? Until, until leadership is characterized by some tears, Nehemiah, by some prayer, by some fasting, by some real deep passion that this situation must not stay like this. God must be glorified in this place. People who are hurting and broken must find help and healing in Jesus' name until that's the stuff that motivates us. We haven't come into the territory of vocation. But that's where Nehemiah comes through to um, in chapter 1. And all of this um, somehow leads to a sense of call. Do you notice in his prayer that he starts to pray about other people and the situation, and he finishes his prayer, and he says, Now, O Lord, help your servant himself as I go and speak to the king. In other words, 
what's happened as he's prayed is that someone else's problem, 900 miles away, has now become his problem. He's confessing the sin of the people like he'd committed the sin. And he's owning the plight of the people like he's there with them. That's the call. That's the vocation. That's where we've come through to a whole new level um, of leadership. And I think people pick up on this stuff pretty quickly. So I think on the next, um, on the next slides you'll see a little diagram that um, perhaps illustrates kind of what we're saying here. That conviction, which he gets in 1 verse 4, I don't think you've got this one actually, so um, conviction that he gets in 1 verse 4, the people are in great trouble and the city is a disgrace. Conviction leads to vocation. Here in 1 verse 11, he's saying, Lord, help me now as I set out to make a difference. In other words, he's in the zone now of feeling this is my calling. This is what God's asking me to respond to. And then in 2 verse 3, he takes action. He takes action. He risks his whole job for the sake of his vocation and goes in and speaks to um, the king. Now, one of the things that strikes me about this is as I reflect on my leadership, sometimes I'm frustrated at the lack of action. Yeah? Sometimes we want to rush to action. We want more stuff to be done, and we want more people to do it. Is this anyone else's challenge as well? Surely some of you are team leaders here. Aren't you always struggling to find people for your team? Yeah? Action. Action. And... Listen, I'm, I'm not making it sound simplistic. How, you know, probably we'll always struggle um, to fill the crash rotor or whatever it might be, this side of the Lord's return. Hopefully not on the other side, <laughs> or else it won't be heaven. But, um, you know, one of, my, one of my reflections on my leadership is, I think sometimes I got frustrated with the lack of action, and I didn't trace it back round to realizing that actually action is a result. It's not something that you go for. It's something that you get when you go for the other things. Action is a result of vocation. And vocation is a result of conviction. You see, you see what I'm saying? Yelling at people for more action is not Christian. That's not what God does, is it? He doesn't just yell at us and say, do more. No, no, no. He, he moves our hearts, doesn't he? He doesn't just yell at our hands and say, you should be busier, you should be on the road to more. He moves our hearts with conviction. And and as that happens, we feel a sense of vocation. Suddenly we're into this sense of call, and the why questions are being answered in this kind of sense. And out of that, we get action. Amen? I just want to encourage us then to, to seek to move people to action in the right kind of way, in God's, in a God-like way, which is not actually to yell at people for action. If we sow the seed of inspiring and motivating people about the why questions, we will be, we will reap the harvest of of the what, <laughs> the what, the action, what we're doing, will be a result of the inspiration from the why. If our team is an inspiring team to be part of, because it doesn't matter what we're doing, the team realize we're doing it for the Lord, and it's making a difference for eternity. And you've, 
helped them to make the connections. See, I, I think in this realm of why, the leadership challenge is to help people make connections. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what you're doing, and this is the connection between what you're doing and what God's doing. This is what you're doing, and here's the connection to how this is going to help transform people's lives. This is what we're doing, and this is the connection to how this is going to glorify God. You see what I'm saying? And leaders are continually trying to motivate people by making connections. Theological, this is theological territory. Connecting people up to what God is doing and how that relates to what we do as a team. So I've noticed that actually, even some of the most mundane teams in terms of the what, if they're led by someone who is inspiring on the why, they can be buzzing teams. And even some of the most seemingly jazzy, exciting what teams can be very demotivated if they lose sight of the why. Perhaps then, you know, action needs to be stirred through the why questions being answered better. If we're struggling to get action, can I encourage us to ask ourselves the hard questions, am I inspiring people with the why? Do they feel a sense of vocation on my team, or is it just a duty? Amen? All of that um, is Nehemiah's territory and Nehemiah's game. Now, how are we doing for time? I wonder if it would be a good time to have a little bit of a break. Does that sound all right? Before we break, um, maybe we could just pause for a bit of feedback. Just um, be good just to hear a few thoughts. What are you hearing? And, you know, as I've been speaking, have, has it been triggering some thoughts about things that you think, actually, yeah, I need to perhaps do a bit more of this or a bit less of that? Or, you know, any feedback or any questions or comments, just, just so that we break with me getting a sense of, you know, how this is landing with you. Any, any thoughts? Any things? being sparked in your thinking? One thing that strikes me about the opening of Nehemiah is where he is a servant. And he's a servant before he gets to be a leader. Uh-huh. And that's also true of the disciples. Jesus himself says he's called. He didn't call 12 leaders, he called 12 followers. Absolutely, yeah. We're enabled to become leaders. And that ability to be a servant yeah. is, is really important. He also had a vocation. I guess the, the office of cupbearer was not advertised in, in the Susa Express. Cupbearer needed four skins. Uh, the festival candidate will have steady hands and no criminal records. It's always <laughs> Somehow he was called yeah. in a human sense. Yeah. So he understood yeah. calling. And God had also prepared a man of value. Mm. The way he reacted, well, not everybody would. Oh, shame. Get on with the cupbearer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that Nehemiah's. God has created a special man in preparation mm. for the vocation. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so, so the messenger, maybe vocation is just going to suddenly come. Yeah. It needs to be prepared for it. Yeah. Thank you. That's really helpful. Yeah, really helpful. Yeah. Well, Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. People need to feel that that's where it's coming from for us, don't they? And then out of that, it's inspirational um, rather than a sense of pressure that tasks need to be done. And I know they do need to be done, but we, we need to know why they need to be done in, in these kinds of senses of why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. 
Well, I suppose, I suppose my conviction is, here's my conviction, if you get highly motivated, God's people highly motivated, in one sense, the rest will take care of itself. Leaders need to be those who attend to the, motive, the atmosphere. Remember we use these words, the atmosphere. The, the, my, our children, um, they talk about how many batteries they've got left. Um, what, what they mean by that is how much energy they've got. Um, I don't know if, you're, if, if you've got little kids, they say amusing things, don't they? But, you know, sometimes after, when they wake up in the morning, they, they'll come in and they say, I've got a thousand batteries today. <laughs> they go, oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't, so go back to bed. Um, <laughs> you know, but that, towards the end of the day then, I was, I was bringing my daughter home from Gillsbury last night, we had to walk home, it's the end of the day, she's like, I've only got two batteries left, Adam. And, and sometimes I just think, you know, when we, when we help people to make the connections of the why, this is what we're doing, but this is what God's doing through what we're doing. Connecting it up. It's like plugging people into the charger, isn't it? And suddenly the batteries are going up. Now we've got some energy in the atmosphere, and actually you'd be amazed how many people will want to get involved when the atmosphere is energized. Motivation. I'm not talking about being a motivational speaker. I'm not trying to be that myself. This is God's call, isn't it? God brings the vocation. This is a God thing. Um, but leaders must lead in that as well. We'll see Nehemiah after the break going with his sense of motivation and then needing to inspire the rabble <laughs> to become a team with their motivation as well.